Kansas, Rule of Capture, and Failed State. And uh, you can find more about me and my work at ChristopherBrown.com. This is the first episode of a series with Christopher Brown, author of Gonzo Lyrely Science Fiction. Tell me about the lawyer that is Christopher Brown. He sounds like a busy person, yet despite that, why do you write fiction? Yeah, he is a very busy person, my uh, evil lawyer twin, as I like to jokingly call him. I mean, I've, I've been writing since before I went to law school. I was a journalist before I started writing fiction and uh, a working journalist and did a lot of freelancing, in, even in college, did some freelancing for Newsweek, was a like a teen war correspondent from Central America back in the 80s. And and then uh, kind of while I was in law school, and especially right out of law school, I started, so it was when I started writing fiction. But I had this idea, this kind of crazy idea that like I refused to just be pigeonholed into kind of just doing one thing in life. I like try to live as full a life as I can. And I've always been of the view that to live a balanced life, it's good to kind of have a mix of things that you do that involve service to others and things that you do that involve your own self-expression and the lines between those two things, maybe you're not as, as crisp as, as, as I, as I might be suggesting here, but, and being a lawyer is really gives you the tools to provide a lot of service to others. And I do a mix of, you know, things to pay the bills and, uh, put food on the table here for the household, along with my spouse, who does just just as much. That's mostly like working in the technology business and mostly working with mission-oriented companies. But I do a lot of pro bono work as well, whether it's uh, work on uh, environmental and kind of urban ecology and conservation causes, uh, or just helping out people who can't afford a lawyer with a myriad of issues. I'm working on right one right now for a guy who was in jail while his family's estate, his dad's estate was processed and got kind of cut from the herd by his siblings and kind of digging into the past, which is good. Like it's also like good, like basic material for writing lawyer stories. <laughs> and then uh, I find that, you know, if you, uh, it took me a while to figure out the schedule, but writing novels, I think especially once you kind of establish your voice and figure out what you're trying to do, that it's the kind of thing you can be, you can get most of it done before the rest of the world wakes up. And so I have a pretty good routine. And and if you look around, I mean, the kind of history of the past hundred years is full of working lawyers who were also novelists and who I think mostly couldn't give up the lawyering because it was so much, paid the bill so much better than writing books. And we're able to do something like that. And, you know, great poets like Wallace Stevens. And and there are a ton of science fiction writers out there who are or, you know, have backgrounds as lawyers. 
So I'm hearing that you you have interest in in writing. You used to do it as a war correspondent. Tell us a little bit about that. I took a year off between high school and college, and for the second half of that year off, I ended up、uh, living in D.C. working as a paid intern on Capitol Hill, and I shared a, an apartment on Capitol Hill with a buddy of mine from high school. Who was also doing the same thing? He took in a year off, and we both had traveled the first half of that year off, and then we had our cool DC jobs to do before we started college. One night, we went to a midnight showing of the Road Warrior in some theater on Dupont Circle in DC. It's Mad Max Two for the Australians in the audience,、yeah. and we came out of that movie in the way that any great.、Uh, You know, eighteen-year-old or nineteen-year-old would, and we said, "You know, what we should do. We should go to Mexico and like buy a jeep and just like drive around. It would be just like the road warrior." <laughs> it was like, "Yeah, exactly. Let's do that." And so we kind of made a blood pact. Flash forward a year, where we are out partying, and、uh, I think we at the time we probably. He lived in Greenwich, Connecticut, and and at the time you had to go to Rye, New York, to get、uh, get drinks legally if you were under twenty one. <laughs> and so we probably went for donuts, and then we evolved the plan to be let's go. We were both working for our student newspapers, like let's go. We'll get press credentials, and we'll go like you know file stories for our college papers from the war zones of Central America. <laughs> What better way to spend your summer vacation? That's ambitious. That's that's my boy, my buddy. His dad was、uh, worked for the Associated Press、oh, wow. uh, and was an editor, and so he hooked us up with all these guys down there. So I took a bus from New Orleans, where I was going to college, to all、uh, the way to Laredo, and then took a train, this old train from、uh, Nuevo Laredo to Mexico City. We met up, and we did exactly that. We were in,、uh, we went through Guatemala, Honduras, and、uh, Nicaragua during the during the. The shit, as it were, and we were in, like in Guatemala, we went with the air force to go watch people get rounded up and put into model villages in Quetzaltenango, which they were pitching as bringing the people home, bringing the refugees home, and interviewed Mary Nell Priest about the tortures that the soldiers would inflict upon villagers in this war between like indigenous Maoists and this, you know, really intense、uh, military government. And、uh, we had a、uh, a guy read back to us transcripts of our conversations at dinner the night before. And Honduras, we met like with you know we met like CIA contractors and hotel bars and got tours of mash units at giant Air Force bases in the jungle. <laughs> and then we were in Nicaragua for the fifth anniversary of the Sandinista Revolution, and we met all of these. Very senior, including some of the members of the junta and so on, and a lot of characters that are still, you know, active in the politics down there. And yeah, and wrote these like long features, and I did some for papers in New Orleans and others for. I later sold some pieces to、uh, a magazine in the UK off of that, and it was kind of like Gonzo. <laughs> and I had grown up reading all this Hunter S. Thompson, right, and that、right. inflected my like journalistic writing, and so that still kind of shows up. I think in my fiction and those kinds of experiences, Lance are like going to Nicaragua in the early mid '80s. I mean, 
it very heavily influenced the kind of dystopian set pieces of my science fiction because like Managua, Nicaragua, the capital was like totally like a post-apocalyptic zone and a post-revolutionary zone all at the same time. The downtown, the old colonial downtown had been leveled basically by the earthquake of 1972. And uh, Samosa had taken all the relief funds to, you know, support his family. And, um, uh, and so his, his family needs a lot of support, you know, they have the yeah, luxury they goods to, to buy. <laughs> they do. They needed, you know, some new Mercedes and <laughs> new homes in Miami and whatever. Oh, and so like <laughs> you go to like El Centro, like, you know, you normally go when you roll into some town in, in Latin America or in Central America, certainly at least back then. And it just looked like, I mean, it was like literally like, Husks of buildings, like skeletal remains of buildings, rubble everywhere, burned out Sherman tanks, like sinking wow. into the ground, like tagged with graffiti. Huh. And the wow. only building standing up, there was the remains of the old cathedral, which was like marred with all kinds of like obscene graffiti. And then there's this 20 story Bank of America skyscraper that had been built right before the earthquake to like California earthquake. friendly, oh. <laughs> And it's just like standing there, but it's empty. Oh. And, and that actually in my book, Tropic of Kansas, that ended up being kind of the, in a way, the place where the, and just being around seeing like people like constructing a totally new society from the ruins of the one they just spent 20 years, you know, tearing down was a big influence. Wow, that's it. That's it. That'll make you write books, I think. Yeah, just being exposed to that, all that input from uh, reality, and uh, and yeah, exactly. And you had a and you had a project. You were doing project work, meaning you were you were taking that and turning it into content for for journalism, and that's that's awesome. Wow. Okay. However you found sci-fi thoughts, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation services, if you've enjoyed the show, go ahead and do us a favor. Go to wherever you get this podcast and leave us a review, even clicking a few stars. And this will help out the show in many ways. We've got goodies in the show notes, so you can just crack open your podcast player and tap on this episode and you will see goodies such as links to Christopher Brown's website. You don't know what show notes are or how to find them? If you're not using a podcast player, just go back to the website where you downloaded this MP3 and there you will see the notes for the show. Next episode, more Christopher Brown. You know, my work tries to be both fun and adventurous and kind of hitting genre power chords, whether it's kind of adventure fiction power chords in a book like Tropic of Kansas or legal fiction power chords in a book like Rule of Capture or kind of utopian post-apocalyptic power chords and something like failed state but it also tries to be you know uh rich in a literary sense i mean i kind of starts for me with the language and the voice 